Welcome back to the Autoblog Podcast. I'm Greg Migliori. Joining me today is Road Test Editor Zach Palmer. What's up, man? Oh, just here in cold Michigan. I know that uh, most of the news this week's been happening out in nice, sunny Los Angeles. But uh, hey, there ain't nothing wrong with with Detroit either. <laughs> How are you doing? It's a I'm good. I'm good. It's a little cold. It's in the 40s. Just took the dog for a brisk walk. It's kind of windswept, but it still feels a little bit like fall. I like that. You know, sometimes you get into November and people just jump ahead to the holidays. All good, but you know, there's still some leaves out. Sunny. It's cold. Put on my puffer vest and, uh, you know, just walked the dog and felt pretty good. So, and it is a little bit warmer out in LA. We're going to talk about the LA show. Uh, James Riswick and Joel Stocksdale were out there. Best bet is obviously to check out our full coverage on site, but we're going to give you some of our opinions uh, about what we saw out there. It was a pretty decent show overall, Uh, but first we're going to talk about what we've been driving, and we've we've been driving some cool stuff. I just got out of a Chevy Colorado ZR2 AEV Bison. This is the one, of course, that AEV tunes. There's some really cool stuff on here. We'll get into it. You did the first drive of the Audi A3 and S3 out in Colorado. I drove the Corolla XSE hatchback. It's pretty fun. Uh, I really enjoyed that. And then you actually uh, spent some time, I believe it was also out in California, driving the Acura RDX, and you saw the reveal of the Integra. So we'll get into all of that. And we will spend your money. So, busy show. You should probably start knocking stuff up. Any guesses as to how much this bison cost? Oh, man. I'm going to put my my first guess right around $55,000 after AEV is is done with it. Am I close? So you are dead on, man. Wow. 54,940. I didn't even that's, cheat either, and I probably have have the Monroney. <laughs> I was going to say that that's that's kind of shady. Were you like did you pull this up on one of the fleet files or something? But man. no, you were dead on. Wow. Um yeah, it's what I would say is this. Super cool. It looks super cool. It drives cool. That's the 2.8 liter Duramax diesel. It sounds like a monster truck. My kid calls it a monster truck. <laughs> I can see eye to eye with any other uh, guy in a truck in a parking lot when I'm in this thing. 55, I don't know. You, you, you don't necessarily need that. But what you do get from AEV, I will tell you right here. I have the Monroney. The ZR2 Bison from AEV gives you... Uh, let's see, hot stamped boron steel skid plates. So you're going to like go over some jagged stuff. You've got some reinforcement there. 17-inch dark graphite aluminum wheels. You can get cool wheels from Chevy on your truck. You don't need to spend the money for that. Front and rear bumpers, wheel flares, which are seriously like cartoonish. They really (laughs) stick out on this thing like a transformer. Uh, Embroidered headrests. um, And yet, of course, this one does have the diesel. So, uh, and an exhaust brake too, actually a $75 exhaust brake. Um, so, you know, if you want, you want the look, you want to let American expedition vehicles do this stuff. Uh, you know, it's definitely a cool vehicle. The ZR2 is not cheap. So really all you're paying for from like, uh, AEV is just, you know, some of the looks and things like that and the off-road gear, which is only about a $5,700 add on, you know, the rest of this is a Chevy. It's the AEV stuff, and then the, uh, excuse me, the thirty-seven hundred dollar diesel is what gets this to fifty-five. Without it, you're looking more at like basically like a base, you know, in the mid forties uh, range, if you will, like the base ZR2, which to me 
that's a sweet spot. That's how I would go. Uh, but this thing does look cool as hell, man. Yeah. You know, you've driven the ZR2. I think it's a great truck. I think it's, you get a lot of bang for your buck in this segment. Um, you know, and honestly, for me, this reminded me just how much I, I actually really like the Colorado. It's really a strong player in the segment. Yeah. Yeah. No, there is, is nothing wrong with just a base ZR2. Uh, that is, is one hell of a truck all on its own. Um, you know, you, you get a big lift, you get the awesome multi-matic suspension, uh, which, which really, really makes the truck, you know, it's, it, it both jumps, lands softly off-road, uh, rides super smoothly off-road and rides super smoothly on-road. Uh, it, and handles respectably well as well. Um, and you know, all of, all of those AEV things are, are really cool, but they're, it, it, they're definitely, you know, for somebody who's, uh, you know, a, a, an off-roading enthusiast, uh, that, you know, maybe, uh, you don't want to go to some parts bin and, you know, just buy a part here, buy a part there, buy a part there. You know, you, you can sort of just get this, this package that, you know, lays out your super high clearance bumpers and better skid plates. And it, it, it all, it all is wrapped together very nicely and easily from, from the factory, um, which is, which is certainly appealing to me at least, um, especially on, on this truck. Uh, Greg, you had mentioned there that I've, I've driven this before. Uh, yes, I, I have off-road, uh, and I think that I, I've had more fun in this truck off-road than pretty much any other vehicle that I have driven off-road. Um, the way that it handles different terrains is super, super impressive. Um, it's, it's almost like a sort of a magic carpet ride over a, like a lot of huge bumps and bounces, uh, that, that, that this suspension is, is, is capable of, of handling. Um, you know, there's, there's this, you know, in, and in the, in the midsize truck segment, there really isn't anything else that is, has this kind of a high-tech suspension on it. Obviously, you have stuff like the Tacoma TRD Pro, which is also fantastic off-road, and Nissan's Frontier Pro 4X, uh, which is also super respectable off-road. But for me, there is there is nothing better or or as comparable as as the ZR2 off-road in this segment. You sort of have to step up to something like a Raptor uh, to get a similar suspension technology and and capability uh for sort of desert running uh off off-road type stuff the multimatic dssv and i'm just going to use the abbreviation here uh like the suspension really cool i mean they're yellow on this thing so like you know they're there um you see them it's you know i think we actually tested it for our tech of the year a few years ago actually on the colorado and that was just a cool thing to test for one thing but it's um you get a lot of capability and it's you know this is i think in some ways the perfect truck for some people you know because it's it's it fits in a lot of small spaces it, it handles well the, the suspension the multimatic like upgrades actually make it handle quite well on road it's a little bouncier and jouncier but you know, it's a little bit beefier than, say, like the Ford FX4 suspension. I think this is a little bit more capable depending on what you want to do. Um, like this is really for serious off-roaders, whereas FX4, in my mind, is a little bit more like, hey, let's go to the campsite, you know, that sort of thing. You could you could do some work with this, with the Chevy, with the ZR2. Um, so, yeah, uh, one thing that I almost forgot, but because 
This isn't as maybe widely talked about as it was a few years ago. The 2.8 liter Duramax diesel, it's an inline four. Um, you're looking at 181 horsepower, 369 pound-feet of torque. Um, it's a really interesting engine, you know, as we're looking at EVs and just, you know, all sorts of different types of displacements going down, some of them going up. Um, a little bit of a, I don't know, I enjoy driving it. I think it's something I drove, uh, Jesus, a few years back, I drove a Canyon prototype with a Duramax diesel in it right when they were launching this. and it's just, again, this is a very niche um, engine, if you will. But um, I mean, I think one thing I'll say is it's rated at 18 city and 22 highway. You know, that, that seems a little low, I guess, if you will. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, if you want a diesel, you get some grunt with this thing. So it's still out there. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, the diesel proposition is, is a cool one for off-road. You know, I, I really, really loved it in, in the Wrangler. And I, and I love having that that low down grunt, you know, when you're off roading, trying to rock climb, and and so on. So you know, that, them continuing to offer it in in the Colorado is super cool. I know the one that I the, the ZR2 that I drove was the uh, just the normal 3.6 liter gasoline V6, um, and that one was was all fine and dandy too. But I think that uh, you know you, you, you'd probably end up liking the diesel a little bit more um if if you're somebody who's who's into weird stuff like that you know if if if, if you're buying a zero two you're you're probably a little bit into that weird off-roady stuff already so this is a just a neat weird proposition that still exists um and it's super cool that it does to me even if it doesn't get the greatest uh fuel economy um it's still still a neat offering you got to want the driving dynamic from, you know, this kind of a diesel. Because, again, the fuel economy, usually, like, diesels in the city, whatever, but usually they're pretty good on the highway. And the Colorado's not a huge truck. So I guess I was expecting a little bit of a better figure than what I'm seeing here. And, you know, that's fine. You know, you could buy engines just, you know, for their, you know, how you want your vehicle to handle and drive. And I think that's what you do here. And it's only 3700 bucks, So... I'd probably go with the 3.6 because I think that's a great engine. GM's been using that in everything for forever. Um, but, hey, it's a fun vehicle. So that's the Bison. Um, I'm going to get some social assets over to you here in a little bit. You'll have to check it out. I've got a few. I was at Starbucks, but then there's this, this construction site behind it. So I need to look at these pictures because mm -hmm. I've got the Bison with these, like, gravel piles and got a TikTok, so all that good stuff. But let's shift gears over to the Audi A3 and S3. Uh, I drove one briefly, but you went to the first drive out in Colorado. Give me some initial impressions of this, you know, pretty critical sports sedan for them, for Audi. I, I did, yeah. I, uh, I drove it through some some canyons in and around Denver and, and Boulder, Colorado. Um, quick note, man, those are some great roads. Uh, Video producer Chris McGraw is definitely having a great time out there. That was the first time that I'd really had a good chance to be out there. And the Audi A3 S3 uh, were pretty fun uh, up and down those those canyon roads. Uh, the S3 particularly fun. Uh, the, the the A3 you can definitely tell is um, you know one of the, a, a sedan for somebody who wants you know something nicer than say like a Civic. Um, uh, you know, you, you want the luxury interior, you want a luxury look, get nice big Audi wheels. 
super great looking LEDs. It's very, you know, sort of like a, I don't know, like a pug, like a, I don't know, a dog rearing up at you. The, the design is super neat in that way. Um, but uh, the driving experience, if you really, really want, you know, something that is a lot of fun to drive, I think you really got to go with the S3. Um, obviously, that comes with with a big price increase. It's you know right around eight to ten thousand dollars more than an A3. Uh, but what you're ultimately getting with that S3 is an Audiized, uh, sedanized version of the Volkswagen Golf R, uh, which I drove earlier this year. Uh, so that sort of spoiled the driving experience of the S3 already for me. But uh, that car was brilliant to drive, and the S3 is also fairly brilliant to drive. Uh, the, the, the one disappointment that I had with the S3 out there, though, is that Audi doesn't give it the torque vectoring rear differential that the Golf R has, which is a big omission, honestly, because that that torque vectoring rear diff was one of the things that made the new Golf R so much fun to drive. Um, and without it, uh, it's it's a much you know more standard stroke uh, all-wheel drive system. Um, it doesn't uh, actually yank you around corners or push you through and out like a, a real torque vectoring system would. Um, that caveat aside, though, uh, man, that that two-liter four-cylinder engine is a serious firecracker. Sounds sounds the business, um, and uh, you know the. The DCT transmission that they pair with it too is lovely. Um, I, I I found myself just tapping up and down and up and down the gears as I as I went up and down the mountains out there. Um, it's it's a serious enthusiast car, um, and you know there's there's the RS3 that's coming, and it's it's going to have that lovely five cylinder engine uh, that I know I love, and I'm sure you probably love it too, Greg. But you know, if if you don't have fifty, sixty thousand dollars, which is at least what that RS3 is going to be, uh, this S3 is an absolutely fantastic car, and a really neat alternative if you don't like the hatchback look of the Golf R or you don't like the complex interior tech that they throw in in the Golf R. Uh, the Audi is more luxurious, but also more back to basics in terms of its controls and user friendliness. So overall, I really, really like both of them. I'm, I, I'm interested in what you had to say about the A3, Greg. Yeah, it, I would say this. It did exactly, it lived precisely up to my expectations, which is a good thing. You know, I, I like the A3 and the S3. I drove, I drove them a few years back in Monaco on the Grand Prix circuit there. Um, this is for the last generation of the car. And, you know, when you have an experience like that, it tends to resonate with you, right? Like you tend to really... Like that's not just a work trip, you know, you, you really, <laughs> it sticks with you. And obviously the car sticks with you. Um, so I think, you know, the way they're positioning it then and now is that, you know, this is sort of like a somewhat affordable um, thinking person's sports sedan. I think they dialed in on the things that they've always done well, which is it handles well, the steering is good. Um, it's a little understated. The S3 does punch things up a little bit. Uh, just styling and obviously mechanically. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like I would say it was like dead on. I would say it didn't exceed my expectations. You know, there was nothing in there that made me go, whoa, Audi's bringing something new to the fight or this is, wow, this is takes a leap forward ahead of the rest of the field. So that's where I think, you know, when you launch a product like this, a new 
new version of it. Sometimes it's good to have that like aggressive thing that puts you ahead. This is just perfectly staying the course. And that's fine. That's fine. That's probably what most things, most things do um, in cars and life and whatever. But it didn't blow me away. It just, it was exactly like every A3 or S3 I've ever driven. So yeah, I don't know. That's not faint praise. <laughs> and it's, I'm not even, you know, damning it with faint praise. It just, it exactly hit what I thought it was. You know, there was nothing that blew me away. Um, yeah. 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 I don't know. I mean, where do you put it in the field? Man, in in the field of these it's crowded, yeah. There's there's plenty. I mean, you, you got the CLA, you got the 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 two series Grand Coupe. Uh, that 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 BMW is probably unfortunately last amongst those. Um, but I think for me, uh, I'm I'm probably gonna have this perhaps sitting second behind the CLA. Um, and the, 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 A-class, you know, I, I sort of group both the CLA and, and the A-class together cause they're so similar. Um, but you know, right there, right, right behind the Mercedes, I think. Um, and then the BMW probably a, a distant third behind it. Um, why do you put the BMW third? I'm just curious. I really dislike the way that that BMW looks. Okay. Uh, like really, really don't like it. And I, so I, I drove the, the, the M235i Grand Coupe last year and it's just, it wasn't fun to drive. You know, it's, it, okay. it, it's this four door sedan from BMW, super small, should be super fun to drive. Um, but it just, it, it isn't, it's, it's, it's fairly lifeless. The steering, it's some of the, the worst of the uh, very lifeless steering that BMW has. You can tell that it's very much based on like the X1, X2. It sort of drives a lot like a mini Clubman more so than it does a BMW, which was just fairly, fairly disappointing. So maybe it's, maybe part of that is expectations are too high, but I think that my expectations should be fairly high. BMW is going to make something that is, you know, sort of an equivalent to say like a like a hot hatch, like a BMW hot hatch. And it just, it, it didn't, I'd, I'd rather drive this S3 than I would that thing. I'd rather drive the, uh, Mercedes AMG CLA 35 than I would, the the BMW. So, you know, I, I should also mention the Cadillac CT4 cause that's also in and amongst this group. That thing's rear wheel drive and has a lot of horsepower, uh, especially if, if you get the V with its 2.7 liter four cylinder. Haven't driven that one yet, but I imagine that that would land very high amongst my rankings uh, had I driven it. So I drove the CT5 and I drove it in Blackwing trim. So obviously you're like the biggest, <laughs> most powerful engine and it is a segment up to be fair. But I really feel like I would put the CT4 um, at the top of this class based on what this class is, you know, because to me, and the class does different things. It used to be a little more like a traditional A3. Like at one point, you even maybe paired off the three series into there. Now the three series is bigger. Like this is not a true, like, like the size has changed. Let's put it that way. And this is definitely more of an entry level, almost like a hot hatch, like you said, segment where Audi is almost competing with like Volkswagen, which is a sibling thing. That's it's kind of weird in some ways. And then you drop the Cadillac in there, which to me is, again, a very traditional offering. Um, to me, it seems like that's also what BMW, like there's the signpost for what BMW needs to do in this segment because the Cadillac is what 
BMW used to be, like the one series, the one series M coupe. That was a brilliant car in this segment. Um, the BMW two series grand coupe, I feel like is just the name tells you all of the issues that I think you might have with it. Like a car in this segment shouldn't be called a grand coupe. Um, so in some ways I would agree with you almost by default. I, I think the Audi does rise to the top, you know? And again, I feel like I keep damning it with faint praise, but it's an interesting segment and I haven't driven either of the Mercedes recently. So again, that's an area where I'll admit I have a bit of a blind spot. Um, I don't know if I had to, Pick one though. I'd probably go Cadillac, uh, just in this little group right here. It is the Cadillac bigger off the top of my head. I don't know. It feels like it's a bigger car, but maybe I'm wrong. The CT4 really isn't much bigger than these cars. Um, it it, okay. it, it definitely you know, it might be like an inch or two longer than okay. than like the the A3 and and like a CLA, but it's it, it, they definitely compete head to head against each other, especially considering their price. Right. They're like dead on yeah. price, so. Yeah, I know. Man, I, I I really wish that I could also say the CT4. And I, I, I probably can just based on driving cars on that platform previously. But man, I, I'm i going to have to keep with, with that AMG because that, that to me has been like the most fun car that I've driven amongst here. And it's, it's also the most hardcore of them easily. The stiffest suspension, the loudest exhaust. Uh, it's just a very, very high strung and... Uh, very, very much more like a sports car than a uh, luxury sports sedan. So, yeah. Oh, all right. Well, let's shift things over. Yeah. I spent some time in the Toyota Corolla XSE hatch. A lot of fun, man. This uh, uh, was about $25,000, $26,000. Uh, beautiful car, actually. Um, you know, really has the, like, the hatch look and appearance. It reminded me of some of the like the early 2010s Mazdas, specifically the three, probably. Um, it even has a little bit of the silhouette of the Speed 3 from that generation, if you will. Uh, this is the manual transmission, which I wasn't expecting. You know, when I got in the car, I was like, oh, hell yeah, this is great, you know? And <laughs> so it was, it's a lot of fun to drive. It's great value, like I said, for 25 grand, 26 grand. Um, you know, good fuel economy. Four cylinder is like 168, 151 pound feet of torque. So again, it's like small car, but you can kind of really push it and ring things out. Um, you know, read some of the specs here. You do get like uh, LED fog lamps. Uh, the infotainment's fine. It's like a seven inch thing. Um, you know, they did some things like chrome colored. So faux chrome around the grill, that sort of thing. Like, it didn't feel like a penalty box at all, you know, and I think that was good. I threw my kid's car seat in there. He had a great time. Um, people thought it was cool, you know. So, I mean, it's it's interesting because this isn't really where the market is going. Uh, but it, for me, I guess what I, I really loved about it was the manual transmission. It just, it really, you could ring things out with it. It actually took me back to my early days in the industry when, uh, I was sort of starting out and a lot of like the old guys would be driving the enormous Escalades and things at this time of the year. And the young guys get the hatchback with the stick shift on like summer tires or something is it gets cold out. And like, that's what I, you know, it was first week in November here. I'm ringing around Michigan in this little Toyota Corolla hatchback. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Reminds me. Cause we used to have a long-term Mazda speed three at auto week and kind of, you know, takes me back to those days. 
Um, and that car was way more powerful, way more raw. I like the simplicity and the pure nature of this. So, um, you know, there's not that many things out there like this. You know, the Mazda 3, which I know is in your life, if you will. It is indeed. Um, you know, Volkswagen, like the GTI is like, I mean, that's the Golf if you want. You know, uh, they don't offer any other Golfs um, for the Golf R, I suppose. But that's a different thing. Um, good value. Yeah. You know, you know my, it, all those things, you know, super, super great things about the Corolla hatchback. You know, I, they, they always turn my head whenever I see one go by. But, you know, the, the, the biggest problem with me for that car is just the fact that the Civic hatchback exists. Um, mm -hmm. And the Civic hatchback is, is really, really, really good. Um, it's, it's, it's more powerful. It's more spacious. Uh, it, has, it has better tech for the most part. Um, now the, and it also offers a manual transmission, of course. Um, and those are all really, really great things. You know, what, what, what the Toyota has, has going for it for me is style. Uh, I think that it's, it's definitely a more attractive hatchback than, than the Civic is. Um, but at the same time, that comes at the cost of utility. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough ball game between those two. Is it still awesome that Toyota is over here selling a Corolla hatchback with a manual transmission and right around 170 horsepower? Yeah. I mean, maybe that extra, you know, 20 ish horsepower from the Civic doesn't really matter. Um, just because it's so fun to ring out this sweet, naturally aspirated engine from, from Toyota. So it has some really cool things going for it that enthusiasts can like, um, sounds like you, you liked it too. So indeed, indeed. It's just a, I'm glad there's cars like this out there. Let me put it that way. Yeah. Um, not for everybody, but, um, efficient, fun thing to drive. Good value. Average new car price is like what? 41 to 44. I've even heard. 44,000. You could get a car like this for 26. Hey, you know, driving's fun. This was a fun car to drive. How was the Acura RDX on the other end of the spectrum? Acura RDX. Yes. So transitioning from fun, maybe personal-ish hatchback to a bit of a compact-ish luxury family. At least you could uh, have a small family in this RDX. Uh, so I was out in, in Los Angeles and I was doing the, the first try for this sort of a mid-cycle refresh uh, for the RDX. Um, if you look at it, I don't know, you don't really see a whole lot that is, you know, jumping out at you like, oh, they uh, they redesigned this, they redid that. No, it, it really looks a whole lot like the RDX, uh, the pre-refresh. Pre There's a new grill, some new lights, uh, new wheels, uh, very, very minor stuff. Uh, you know, some of the the big ticket items, I think, though, uh, they added like a ton of sound deadening to it, um, which actually sort of hits the nail on the head for some of the things that I've complained about with with Acura's in the past. Um, their their two liter turbocharged engines are you know fairly growly, you know, noisyish things, um, especially if you go and compare them to something like the the two liter in a Mercedes or or a BMW. Um, those those cars are very very quiet. Uh, you can tell that there's a ton of sound deadening in them. Uh, the Acura hasn't always been that way. However, for for 2022, uh, Acura says it's 20 to 30 percent quieter. Uh, basically, just depends which trim you get. And in my first drive, I noticed that it was it was uh, it was obviously quieter uh, than than the previous RDX. So that's super cool, and that Acura is you know reaching more towards 
luxury in that way. Um, other really neat things, uh, just a bunch of added tech. You know, they, a lot of the stuff that that debuted in in our uh, long term TLX and uh, the MDX get added to this. So that's all fine and dandy. You're not leaving leaving the RDX behind since a lot of people do do buy this thing. Um, and lastly, uh, maybe you know one of the bigger notes here is that Acura is finally letting you equip uh, A spec cars with the advanced package, um, and that's neat because A spec has always been you know the coolest looking Acura in in the lineup. Whether you go RDX, MDX, TLX, uh, but up until now you have not been able to equip their uh, advanced package on it, which means you couldn't get the adaptive suspension. Uh, with the coolest looking car, which is just weird to me and probably to enthusiasts as well that the sportiest looking car can't have the sportiest suspension. Uh, but that changes with the RDX now, and uh, now you can have exactly that. Um, so big fix there. I'm not really sure why it wasn't that way before, uh, but it's it's a good thing that Acura did that. So overall, you know, the I think the updates make it better. It's 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 a slightly more attractive offering, so to say. Um, but it's it's not a revolutionary play by any means. Um, it's still the same RDX that we liked uh, pretty well before, and I still like it a good bit now. So, twenty twenty two RDX in a nutshell. Sounds good. I have not driven it, obviously. I think it's. Uh... You know, one of those vehicles that Acura gives you a little bit of like a style play, if you will, um, in the segment. I think, you know, it's kind of love it or hate it looks that like they still have remnants of that like beak styling in the front. Um, but, you know, I, I like many of their vehicles. I'm glad to hear that you can actually get a little bit more performance out of, you know, some of these things line up with the looks than the actual sort of in vehicle experience. That's good. Um, you know, like I've been asking this a little bit, but where is Visco in the segment now? That is another tough question. Uh, cause this mm. one, you know, it, uh, for the most part, it's, it's a value play. So loaded up, uh, really doesn't matter which way you slice it. It's going to be cheaper than say like a BMW X3 or a Mercedes GLC class Audi Q5. Um, just going to be slightly more affordable. Now, those cars, they have nicer interiors than this one does. You know, just more leather, more wood trim, etc., etc. Uh, better tech, more screens, all of that stuff. Uh, now, that said, you're not really losing anything in, in the driving experience, I don't think. Uh, you get pretty stout 2-liter turbo with this guy uh, that measures up very nicely to pretty much all the other ones. And it handles just as well as, the, as those two with 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 SHL will drive. Um, so for a lot of people, you know, I would I, I would suggest buying this uh, over say like a BMW X3 if you're not, uh, you know, you're not like somebody who's like dead set on oh I want the BMW I want the German luxury. Um, you know, I'd I'd recommend this over uh, like a Lexus NX, uh, probably over like uh, an an Infiniti QX50. Um, I would I would have this over many of the uh, similarly priced crossover competitors. Um, and probably you know, if if you care about driving experience, this is better than a Lincoln Corsair. If you don't really care about driving experience and you just want something luxury and comfortable that is super nice to look at, 
Maybe I'd take a Lincoln Corsair over this one. Um, but uh, no, it, 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 I think it measures up really nicely to that, you know, sort of mid mid luxury segment uh, and is definitely the pick in that segment if you care about something that's fun and interesting to drive with with your crossover. I do wish it had a Type S. There really should be a Type S version, but <laughs> that's that's not coming yet. That would be logical because, you know, there's there's some space to put that V6 under there, 355 horsepower. Sounds pretty good to me. Sounds splendid. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's talk about the Integra. Um, that's This is a car that you don't have to talk about, like, how it feels or seems sporty. It is sporty. And it's the return of the Integra. Um, I, I think it's really important for Acura to bring this name back. I think it's important for them to play in the segment. Um, I was impressed with the car, uh, but you were there in person uh, and you're an Acura guy just as far as like outside of work, you know, you own an Integra. What do you think? Indeed. Yeah, this was, man, this is probably like my dream reveal to go to, honestly, if okay. I'm, I'm going to get a little personal hair about it. Um, there is, there's probably no more exciting car that I would have loved to see the wraps taken off of than uh, Acura bringing back the Integra because like you said, I am, I'm an owner of one. I have a 2001 Acura Integra GSR, um, which I, I love and cherish. <laughs> so seeing them bring the nameplate back is a pretty big deal for me. And it seems the internet thinks it's a pretty big deal too, because just looking over the comment count for our, our stories here, they're in the triple digits. Um, which is which is pretty high, and I know that there's been a lot of commentary online. People like it, people don't like it, people are disappointed. Uh, I'm on the fence of I like this thing. I like this thing a lot. Um, you know, it in a way it goes back to the Integra's roots. In a way, it it doesn't. Um, okay. And you know, in in the way that it doesn't, of course, is uh, well, it's it's a big old four door hatchback, um, and I, I know a lot of people were looking for a a two door coupe because um, that's what everybody has in their minds about what an Integra should be. Um, however, you know, Acura did make four door versions of this car. Mine is a two door, but uh, the four doors have have always existed um, up until the RSX generation at the end. Um, so in that way, I really like it. And, you know, this thing is going to drive really, really well. So it, we don't have any like huge confirmation that this is basically the Civic SI powertrain. But if you look at what Acura said, it's, it's the 1.5 liter turbo. Uh, it has an LSD. It's going to have a six speed manual. Uh, for all intents and purposes, this is looking like it's going to have the Civic SI powertrain just yanked out and thrown in this. Um, which if, if you remember much of uh, Acura Integra history, that is nothing new. Uh, the Integra has always been uh, Civic based. It's always shared shared a lot with the Civic. Um, you look at the uh, later Civic SIs that basically had the same engines, same transmissions, um, a whole, whole lot of sharing between those cars. Um, so that tells me right now, you know, four-door hatchback, Civic SI, powertrain, this thing's going to be really, really fun. Um, there are some important differences to note, though. Um, this, this car is not super small. Um, this, is, this is a slightly longer Civic. Um, I was chatting with one of the product planners there, and he notes it's, it's actually a couple inches longer than the sedan. The sedan is already about five inches longer than the Civic hatchback. 
so this car isn't going to be much shorter than, say, our uh, the new Acura TLX. Um, it's not a super, not a super small car. Also, not a super large car. Um, and uh, you know, this this thing has has a lot of potential. This is just just the beginning. You know, I'm sure that we'll get a Type S down the road that is probably going to share a lot of parts with the Civic Type R that eventually comes our way. Um, so if this level of performance is not satisfactory enough, I imagine that the uh, the Type S that is likely to come will more than satisfy any sort of performance wants and and desires. Um, just a side note, love love the yellow paint. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, me too. That that really does. I mean, it's funny how like little things like wheels and paint can just, you know, set off what you like think the idea of a car should be. And that could really work. So I one one thing I'm curious about. Did they say why they brought back the Integra? Uh, other than just pure nostalgia, um, not exactly. Uh, you okay. know, they. I, I I chatted with them about like, hey, like, when did you decide you were gonna do a new Integra? And their their product planner told me, basically, they laid out everything that the car was gonna be. It was gonna have this engine, this transmission. It was gonna have a hatchback. It was gonna be all these things. And they're like, oh, we built an Integra. Uh, that's, that's what this is. You know, this is, this is a fun to drive car. It's affordable. Uh, it, it, it hits all of these, you know, sort of measurements as to like what the Integra was before. So then they decided, well, shoot, we built an Integra. Let's bring the name back and call this an Integra. Um, instead of, you know, what the small Acura has been for a few years now, which is the Acura ILX, um, yeah, so. much better name than the ILX. I uh, much stronger. <laughs> yes, I've I spent a lot of time in the ILX uh, when it launched, and then basically didn't change for a few years. Another long term car. I think we had it Auto Week back in the day. Um, I think it had the manual, which made it kind of tolerable, but it was a very unremarkable car. You know, just especially that first like version of it. Um, well, cool. So that's the Acura Integra. Uh, Let's move on to the LA Auto Show. Some yeah. good stuff coming out of there. Uh, best bet here is to check out our coverage online. Tons of stuff. James and Joel, like I said, are there. Um, but just kind of like, you know, bench racing this. Uh, I think the Porsches stood out to you there, Zach. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there are a lot of good stuff at the show this year, but both of Porsche's big reveals stood out the most to me. Uh, the Cayman GT4 RS. Uh, nuts, and then the Taycan GTS Sport Turismo is one of the best-looking cars I feel like I've seen in a long time. Uh, I already loved the way the Taycan looked, loved the way the Taycan Cross Turismo looked, and uh, getting rid of the cladding, lowering it a bit, uh, dressing it up in GTS trim style. I, I, I don't think that you could have created a better-looking Porsche wagon in my eyes. Uh, the thing is drop-dead gorgeous. 590 horsepower. Uh, it's gonna be so good. I know that uh, those those guys that were there and saw it uh, would probably give it even more effusive praise with with the looks than I am. But geez, this thing looks so so good in red. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, then, Porsche does a good good job at auto shows of yeah. really making their cars pop. Oh yeah, 
and then you know to get into you know e- even deeper into the uh in enthusiast space you know we have the the cayman gt4 rs which porsche finally giving us what the people want uh throwing the 911 gt3 engine into a cayman uh which man how many years have we been asking for that how many years has porsche been like no 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 the 911 is king the 911 is king and uh boom here it is uh gt4 rs with the four liter flat six uh, a lovely 493 horsepower, naturally aspirated, 9,000 RPM. Uh, uh, this car is going to be probably going to go down as one of the the best Porsches uh, ever, honestly. That thing is going to rip. <laughs> it is just going to be such a raw car. But I mean, yeah. that is, I mean, I'm a big fan of the Cayman. And just to have that engine in it, holy crap, man. That's going to be awesome it's it's going to be absolutely nuts you know the the, the price here what are we looking at about uh, $143,000 to start um that's that's a lot of money it's $40,000 more than a regular GT4 but i don't think yeah. that Porsche is going to have any trouble selling a single one of them not a bit they're going to go like crazy and i'm afraid to see what they go for uh on the uh after after they're sold here cuz People are going to be clamoring for these. There's no doubt about it. Oh, yeah. If you're a Porsche enthusiast, I mean, this is in some ways really your car. And especially if you're someone who is like really into tracking things. I mean, I would love to see what this thing could do in the hands of the right person on a track against like, well, really anything. But I mean, this is it's almost a dangerous play. You know, they've always said the 911 is king. Well, okay. Let's uh, let's get somebody behind the wheel with uh, this thing, and away we go, right? Uh, it's it's going to be really good. Now that said, now that you did mention track time, it is slower than a GT3 around the Nurburgring. Um, so there's there's one thing. 911. I mean, the 911 superiority continues. <laughs> fair enough, but I mean, I don't know. That's that's an interesting metric, but yeah, yeah, good point. You know, and obviously I can see why the 911 would win in a circumstance like that, but you know, I don't know. Let's go up to Lime Rock, Lime Rock or something and see who, uh, Very good point. You know, who wins. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. So that's the Porsches at the LA Auto Show. Uh, I've got a couple things that stood out to me. I like the Toyota BZ4X. Wow. What a name. Uh, and the much easier to say Subaru Solterra. I think uh, they're essentially the same vehicle, um, kind of an EV, electric SUV, like just play, if you will, um, jointly developed. And I think um, we knew they were coming, but I was like a little bit surprised actually when I saw the pictures and got to look at some of the specs, like, hey, this is really cool. And this is like an accessible, you know, vehicle for a lot of people. Um, so, you know, I think that was that's definitely a winner, if you will. Uh, yeah. Really excited about that. 220 miles of range, uh, according to the EPA. So that's that's not nothing. Um, yeah. You know, and it's going to be a reasonable price. They they feel like very normal EVs. You know, there's I, I don't see much that is super gimmicky on them. Uh, you know, they're electric cars, sort of like the, the ID4 that are you know fairly normal and. You know, you don't have to be some like bleeding edge tech person like like a Tesla buyer many times is to really get behind it. It's sort of like, I don't know, like a RAV4, but electric, which 
Makes a lot of sense. I think that's what a lot of people have been waiting for with EVs. Speaking of EVs, I also like the Fisker Ocean. Um, kind of a funny name for a car, but a good one, I think. Um, this one is, you can actually get a base one for about 37.5. It's pretty good. Uh, according to John Snyder here, our green editor, um, that's the entry level with sport trim, 275 horsepower, 250 miles of range. And I'm just reading from his report. You should check it out because he has the video in there too of the reveal. Good looking crossover. You know, I think Henrik Fisker knows how to design things, obviously. And he made a small crossover look pretty good. So that was another one. I think just I'm going to go with my things I think you should look at. Um, small electric crossovers. Looks pretty good. I'm dating myself here, but I actually went to the reveal of the Fisker Atlantic in New York a few years back. Different company, in fact, I believe a different Fisker. Yeah. Um, the Atlantic or the Atlantique. I don't know. He was... He does a good job of getting pretty simple, kind of almost like retro names, you know, like the ocean seems like something like Lincoln or Ford or Buick would have named their cars back in the 50s, that sort of vibe. The Atlantic, you know, they sound like cruise ships or ocean liners, um, but obviously different world, uh, but cool. So hey, check out our full, yeah. our full coverage. That Fisker Atlantic still sort of exists. I mean, it's it, it's sort of the Karma Rivero now. So, <laughs> yeah, same same thing. <laughs> it, it's yeah. it's it, it's slightly old, but you know, it's it's also still new. So indeed, it lives on. It lives on. <laughs> um, yeah, I totally forgot about that connection. That's right. But yeah, um, Fisker Karma. Maybe drop uh, an an LS V8 in it. You know, at some point in the middle there. <laughs> yeah, right. Bob Lutz gets his hand out. Exactly. Um, exactly. Man, that car has had a lot of different uh, owners and applications and all sorts of things. No kidding. At this rate, the ocean will have have eight eight names by the time it's it's retired. But let's this is not. hilarious. <laughs> I'm I'm really dating myself on this. I'm looking up the Fisker Atlantic because I was trying to remember like what was what. And the top reference in Wikipedia is a story I wrote for Auto Week, September third, two thousand and twelve. That's awesome. So that you're that's that you're the top reference in Wikipedia. Top <laughs> reference in the Wikipedia story. Um, anyways, let's go back to the present and spend some money. This comes from Lamont. Aloha, folks. I'll keep it short and sweet. Now that I'm in my early thirties, I'm looking to cash in on some of my nostalgia and purchase one of my poster cars from my childhood and teen years. Sounds good, man. Only requirements are that it needs to be from the 2000s, not a two-seater. I already have one in the garage, and he prefers a manual, okay? It's got to be on the sporty and fast side. Must be under 20 grand to purchase. Here are uh, his candidates in order. An 04 to 07 Volvo V70R in flash green metallic uh, and or with the Atacama interior, manual only. Same thing, only this is the Volvo S60R. BMW E39 M. Five, but can only afford high mileage. Bad idea. Are these expensive to maintain? Eh, probably. Yeah. <laughs> 99 to 03 Saab 93 Vigan. These are getting hard to find. I was just Googling these. We were discussing this off camera. Yeah, man, they are hard to find. Or you go with an 05 to 08 Acura TL Type S manual only. Eh, some interesting stuff. You're really going like back into like turn of the century, um, you know, 
sport vehicles, if you will, sports cars, sport, you know, uh, things, uh, you're definitely going down kind of like the, the lesser known path, the less traveled path here, you know, um, no GTIs or things like that. Um, a little bit perplexing. So I guess with that, I'll toss it over to you there, Zach. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I'm not going to lie. I, I, I struggled with this one more than I, I, I normally do with these. Um, I saw your list there. I've actually driven a, a Volvo S60R before. Uh, it was it was a manual. It was slightly worse for wear. Um, you know, so I you might struggle to find one that is actually nice uh, and that is held up. But if if you do find one, you know it's it, it's definitely more Grand Tour than sports car. Um, uh, you know, very unlike the Saab 93 Vigan that you list there, or like a TL Type S. Um, but I'm going to go off script uh, for my pick. Uh, I saw your BMW M5, and I will uh, raise or maybe lower you uh, a BMW M3. Uh, mm, I'd, I'd go okay. with the the E46. Um, now it's definitely cheaper than an M5. You know, obviously those those M5s that you can afford around twenty grand are very high mileage. And yes, the question your your question of are they expensive to maintain is yes, yes they absolutely are expensive to maintain. Um, and the same would go for, for an E46 M3. However, you're starting off at a lower price. Um, and you, you, you at that point though, you're honestly, you know, bumping right into your $20,000, uh, purchase maximum. So that would be my sort of aspirational pick. Uh, go and find an E46 M3. If you're okay with a convertible, um, that would be, uh, a cheaper one. Although, you say that you you don't want a two seater, and for all intents and purposes, an M3 convertible is sort of a two seater. Um, so maybe go find a sedan and find a manual there. And then if that's too expensive, which at, in our market these days might be, honestly, at this point, wait a few days and the price goes up three grand. Uh, then the, the the TL Type S would be my safe choice. That is for sure going to come in under your under your dollar amount. Still be a lot of fun. Not as fun as as the M3, uh, but certainly more reliable and cheaper to maintain overall. Um, so, aspirational pick, cheaper, safer pick, right there, Greg. <laughs> All right, that's pretty well thought out. I'm going to go basically in order of want. Um, he says an 04 to 07 Volvo V70R. Uh, again, it's flash green metallic. I would probably look pretty hard at that. I think that is a um, very unique option on this list. Let's put it that way. Uh, you're going to get some attention. I think you're going to get some functionality with that too. I think that's kind of neat. Uh, nothing wrong with driving a Volvo station wagon from the turn of the century. Century. I think that's kind of a neat thing. Um, so I'd look at that. Uh, there's actually kind of a cool uh, motor trend reveal uh, review from, geez, a road test from 2004. You can find that pretty easily by Googling. Uh, and it really lays out um, just from that time, how this, you know, like this wagon really, um, like what it could do well and why you would like it then and why it might still hold up now. Um, it's definitely that period of like Volvo design before I think they became these gorgeous luxury pieces. So it sounds like you like this era of Volvos. That's great. You're going to like this too. But for me, I kind of liked what came before it. And then what came after it, if you will, like, I like how Volvos are now. And I, in the nineties, I could kind of get on board with them too, a little bit when they were a little boxier. Um, 
you know, this isn't my flavor of brandy, but I can see why, you know, it might be yours. That's cool. Um, so that would be my pick. I would just say like, this is a little bit different, but different is good. Um, I would take a swing at this, see what you can find. And I think just the adventure of, of finding this, this relatively rare vehicle could be fun in of itself. So that's how I would land. And of course, an older BMW 3 Series or M3, you know, again, expensive, not a bad fallback choice. The 08 TL Type S, interesting. Uh, I think I actually drove that car. Again, interesting. Um, good transmission, good manual transmission. Uh, so other stuff to just have on your list. Uh, but yeah, man, I would go with the go with the Volvo. I think that sounds interesting. Yeah, it's so. it's it's not a bad choice. My uh, the guy that lived below me in my uh, house, who was sort of a two story house in college, actually had a V seventy R. Was was one of those years. I I can't remember which one, but he had that, and I always parked my Integra next to him because I knew that he would never never door dig me because I knew this this guy knows and he he cares. It's a sweet looking car, really is, and I know that he. He really liked his too. So not not a bad, never a bad choice, I feel, to go with the Volvo station wagon. Sounds good. Well, we can leave it there. Send us your spend my money is at podcast at autoblog.com. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Have a great weekend, and we will see you next week. <laughs>